Hello and welcome back to the Reset MD podcast. I can't believe it, but in May of 2023, we hit 100 episodes. And we're about to turn two at the beginning of September, also in 2023. And what we found over our 100 episodes is that many of you all have found us and joined us. And there are some hidden gems of episodes that we published early on that many of our newer subscribers just haven't listened to. And so over this summer, we're going to be re-releasing them so that you can listen in to their words of wisdom. Enjoy. We'll be back with new episodes in the early fall, late summer. And we so hope that you'll continue to join us as we bring these well-being conversations to you. Welcome to the Reset MD podcast. I'm Dr. Marianne McCrary. I'm one of the co-creators of the podcast. And today I have the honor of having a well-being conversation with Dr. Darylin Moyer. She's Executive Vice President and CEO of the American College of Physicians. And again, it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you for being on the podcast. You're very welcome. And and, uh, thank you for inviting me. It's truly a pleasure. When we got the idea of this podcast, we wanted to talk with folks about what worked for them, for their well-being. And we came up with the name Reset MD. Because there's some people when they really work on things that bring their wellness to the forefront, it can be this hard reset. They have this big change in their life, this pivot. But for other people, it really can be kind of more subtle, the soft reset, things that really they find support them. So I'd love to hear from you as we start off this conversation. What's been a reset for you that's really fueled your wellness in your life and your career? Well, first of all, remember I'm a PGY 37. So I've had a lot of resets uh, in my life, both uh, you know personal and professional. Um, and I would say from a professional perspective, um, I, you know, I grew up uh, in rural Pennsylvania. And I was the first person to go to college, let alone medical school in my immediate family. And I was lucky enough to have a very influential person in my life early. And like most careers uh, or some careers galvanized into healthcare, I was sick as a kid. I was in the hospital a few times with pneumonia and I had a a rarity in rural Pennsylvania in the 60s and 70s and that my pediatrician was a woman, Dr. Sandra Rowan. She really inspired me to think about becoming a doctor and said that women are wonderful doctors you know, at that time, you know, there were very few women doctors around um, and was inspired me into a career um, in medicine. I, I went to undergrad in the big city, a little, a small city girl going to the big city at Penn and um, really loved my interview at Temple um, School of Medicine. 
um, taking care of a, 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 ver a patient population that really, really needed care. So I, I, I went there for med school, stayed there for residency, uh, and stayed there for a year of chief residency. And at that time, my husband had matched for pulmonary critical care on the West Coast. I was inspired by a mentor, um, Dr. Bennett Lorber, um, who is well known to many people in infectious diseases, uh, and really saw myself galvanizing a career as a division chief for infectious diseases, running a clinical and research enterprise. Went to the West Coast, did fellowship at Harbor UCLA, which was one of the AIDS clinical trials units from 90 to 92. Um, and my chief year left me really thinking how much I loved medical education. And as a fellow, you know, I was in a pretty high power research lab. We were doing both basic science research and clinical research. I was the only fellow my year and we had a rotating program. So fellows from uh, UCLA and Cedars would come to the county and the VA hospitals and we would do service at their hospitals. So because I was the only fellow my year, I spent a lot of time on service, you know, helping the other fellows who didn't know the institution. Our patients were really sick, um, doing a lot of consults, doing a lot of teaching and did two years of that. And my, I think my first reset was recognizing that as much as I loved infectious diseases, that I really more saw myself in a, a career in medical education. So sort of amplifying my clinical skills and my educational skills. And um, we returned to Pennsylvania because we had taken the firstborn grandchild on either side of the family and had the audacity to move her to the West Coast when she was three months of age. And we returned her back at three years and three months and ended up actually uh, coming back to Temple where I was lucky enough to have a job where I got to do a lot of things that I loved. Um, infectious diseases, taking care of people living with HIV, and also doing internal medicine, both inpatient and outpatient. Um, and um, right after I got back to Temple, the, the, the person who was going to be starting the primary care track looked at me and said, I think you would be a great associate director for the primary care track. And I said, sure, tell me a little bit more about that and um, stepped into those shoes. And before I knew it, he was gone uh, off to another institution and got really engaged very quickly then, you know, as part of the primary care tract, then an associate program director for the internal medicine residency, then the senior associate program director and ultimately the program director, um, which I did uh, from 2005 to 2016 and mm. absolutely loved it. Um, my best awards are watching my former students, trainees, both residents and fellows, faculty, colleagues, get their own leadership positions, get their own awards and recognition. And then my, I think my other big reset was um, I got very, very involved with the ACP, uh, the Pennsylvania chapter of the ACP in 2005. My kids were both a little bit older. I was you know, married to someone who worked 80 hours a week as a pulmonary critical care physician. I basically bore the big responsibility uh, for both, uh, for the, that, you know, dealing with uh, taking care of most of the stuff in our personal lives. Uh, by 2005, my kids were old enough that 
um, I really felt like I needed to do something for, again, for my professional growth. Uh, as much as I loved my local situation at Temple, I, I really felt that the advocacy um, that the ACP does for patients and for its members is really amazing. So I got involved with the ACP Council in Pennsylvania in 2005. And then I got the tap on the shoulder in 2007 by Dr. Chuck Cutler, who has been one of my mentors, sponsors, allies, saying, you know, we really would like for, for you to consider putting your hat in the ring for governor for the Pennsylvania Southeastern chapter. Mm -hmm. ACP has chapters based on the number of members. So Pennsylvania has three chapters and one is the, that concentrated area of Southeastern Pennsylvania where there are so many medical schools and academic health centers. And I, you know, talked to a few people, I did my research, uh, you know, that intern is no turn, no detail un, unturned sort of perspective, um, and ultimately ended up putting my hat in the ring and was shocked, I must say, really shocked when um, I won the election and became the governor elect in 2009. And I spent four years as the ACP governor uh, for Southeastern Pennsylvania from 2010 to 2014, filled, had a filled Chuck Cutler's big shoes. And then I, I was elected as the, the chair of the board of governors for the ACP. And I did that 2014 to 2015. At that point, I was a member of the board of regents, um, was uh, on the health and public policy committee. Um, and really got even more enamored with the organization. In two, early 2015, Steve Weinberger, who was then the CEO of the organization, announced that he would be stepping down in about um, 18 months. And um, I never even, it, the light never even went on in my head until somebody, it was right after Lean In, you know, by Sheryl Sandberg came out. It was yeah, right after yeah. Lean In came. And a couple of people nudged me and said, Lean In, you should think about throwing your hat into the ring for this. And I, it, I sort of was overcome with imposter phenomenon at that point. But then I started to think about it more um, and decided to do it. And here I am. I'm actually at, on Saturday, I'll be starting my sixth year uh, as EVP CEO. And so I think those were the two really big resets. If you had told me that I wasn't going to be an ID division chief and that I'd be eventually be a full-time staff member at the ACP, uh, you know, I would have I would have been shocked. But those were really my two big resets in my career. Yeah, and what wonderful resets and and look where they've led. Um, you, as you said, you couldn't have imagined um, when you first started thinking about that. And I think, you know, what you're saying, I've heard from other people is that you, you get interested in something, it's a passion, you try it out, and then you find that as you kind of continue to move forward in that, it, it, it fills you up. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes there's something that is just, you're like, I want a little bit more. I want to try something different. Maybe that mid-career shift, right. as you said, as your children kind of getting a little bit older and you had some time to, to yeah. really pursue the things that you wanted. That was exactly right. And so I was 57. I'm now in my seventh decade of life. Um, I was 57 when I st stepped into the ACP job because I felt like I kind of had one big thing left to do in my career. Um, and that's, that's exactly right. And I think 
I think especially as women, there can be a, you know, there, we have the perfection gene, everything we have to make nice, everything always has to be perfect for everyone. And we do have a, a fear of failure, but I, mm-hmm. I think you grow from when things don't go right. And when you do step into a new arena, I have to say I was you know, I thought, oh, well, I know a lot about the ACP because I've been a governor and the chair of the board of governors and a regent for a couple of years. I, I had little, literally lifted the curtain on one window of the big house of ACP. And it was really interesting learning about, you know, when you're leading an organization um, and all the different components. And, and you saw some of the parallels of that, you know, as a program director and a vice chair for a department. Um, but it was very, it was very different. Um, and I learned a lot really quickly. I really did a big listening tour my first couple of years um, as EVP and CEO. And I still continue to listen much more than speak except I don't seem to be doing that now. Oh, no, yeah, I want you to speak. This is wonderful. And this is, it's so interesting to me because I i remember probably right before you took on this role was at one of the ACP meetings, I wanna say it was DC and was attending a wellness talk. Tate Shanafelt was the on the panel, Marie Brown. And it was kind of this open forum of, you know, what's the ACP doing for wellness for us? And I remember somebody standing up and kind of giving everybody a really hard time of like, I'm not sure you get it. And I don't know why this is in my mind, but I remember you standing up and saying, you know, this is who I am. This is the role that I'm taking. I hear you. And um, we may not have all the answers, but we'll work together. And so I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want that job. (laughs) You know, how is she going to put all this together? But then as I've continued to work in the space and kind of grown in leadership as well, it's it's so interesting of like, you know what, the people who kind of take that on, that challenge on, there's an impact that they want to make. And so I kind of hear that in what you're saying as I'm listening to you, that it's, you know, these are things that are interesting, they're exciting, but that advocacy piece, that that role you can play really kind of pushes us forward and fulfills us in different ways, maybe even then the clinical and the and the medical education might have for you initially. I remember that very well. And um, I remember the look in that man's eyes. And I was so, so very concerned about him that I and several other people went up to him and talked with him extensively after that. I do believe that was a council of early career physicians, mm-hmm. well-being, professional fulfillment um, mm-hmm. uh, program. Um, and um, I do remember having an extended conversation um, as did several of the other people who were very yeah. concerned. And I think that's, that's what we do and that's how we help each other. You know, this is, medicine is hard. It is really hard. It's both an art and a science. And sometimes despite doing right, all the right things, patients don't do well. Um, And I think that, you know, as internists and as physicians, we always dwell on when things went wrong and, you know, and kick ourselves and we, and we don't think enough about reflecting on the things that we, the good things that happened. And we also, I think, need to be really observant. Um, and think about those random acts of kindness and those not so random acts of kindness. We do a patient-centered uh, 
medical home huddle, uh, I still see patients at the Temple Internal Medicine uh, practice in uh, North Philadelphia with the with the residents and with the general internal medicine faculty, um, for which I'm a member. And, um, you know, just two weeks ago, you know, I remember, you know, looking into somebody's eyes and being really worried about this person and, again, pulled them aside after the huddle and, and said, hey, you know, how are you? I'm, I'm worried about you. And it just kind of unleashed this, you know, barrage of of you know concerns from this person and so i i think that that's what we have to do we have to take care of each other we have to take care of ourselves do self-care whatever that means whether that's exercise yoga meditation um you know walking your dogs um you know hanging out with your kids but we've also got to make sure to support each other uh and i think that it's you know, it's frequently those taps on the shoulder and just somebody kn knowing that others care that can help that to get them through uh, terrible times. Yeah, that, you know, that technical term of peer support, it's, it's under that, but it's really, again, just asking that simple question of, you know, how are you and, and how can I help um, is really just the, the first step in the opener. And you talked about how important that is. And, and also some of the things that you can do, be really interested in hearing, you know, personally for you, what's been, um, what has supported your wellness? Um, things that, you know, you would say, gosh, this, this has been a lifesaver for me. Well, um, you know, I am the only physician from a really large Polish and German family. So, I, you know, I grew up with 20 first cousins. Um, I live in a neighborhood where we're the original homeowners in a, like a 200 home development. And I was known as the poodle lady of the reserve. I had two standard poodles, black and white, and lost both my girls back in 2014. One was 12 and a half, the other was 14. And, and we have, you know, a large circle of family, friends, neighbors, and I will say that one of the things that helps to get me through things is by helping others. I, I think that, you know, you sort of move your focus from the me, me, me to the asking yourselves when you wake up in the morning, hmm, what can I do for others today? Um, and that for me has really helped to sustain me. And I have my, you know, here on my iPhone, I have my COVID call list and my other call list because people have needed a lot of extra help during um, this time. Um, but at the same time, I, I take care of myself. What do I do? I now have a smaller dog. She likes walks. She doesn't walk at the pace that my other dogs used to. So it's not really exercise per se. Um, but I do, you know, we have sort of the small little gym at home. I love my ellipse machine. I have a rowing machine. I like to lift weights. Um, I do a lot of reading, but most of my reading is reading papers and uh, reading agendas for committees, which can be several thousand pages long times, you know, multiple committees over the course uh, of a month. Um, but I do really focus uh, in uh, on checking in on family, friends, um, trying to support people, trying to help others, that helps my well-being. It's not sapping of my well-being. For me, that recharges me. Yeah, kind of being there for your community of folks, uh, for sure. 
and we're recording this uh, in September. I think it's going to come out in September, but if we're a little late, uh, you'll know it's now September, which is Women in Medicine Month. Um, and I know that's also been something that you have focused on in your career and have, have recently been honored for in different ways. Um, if we're thinking about kind of pearls of wisdom that you might be able to give our listeners particularly women, since it is Women in Medicine Month, what, what would be some pearls beyond what you've already told us um, that would be helpful for uh, early career physicians, medical students, mid-career physicians, as they're kind of moving through this um, space that you've navigated along the way um, that might be helpful for them? Oh, wow. So, so many things that I've learned along the way. Um, I think you know, one uh, big pearl that I have is um, reach out to people. You would be surprised at people and how they would love to tell their story and to tell you kind of what what they did do that went well and what they, they did that didn't go so well. So I think I learned early on um, to approach people in a very human way and say, hey, I really enjoy you know, go up to a keynote speaker or reach out to somebody on social media, direct message them. Um, and, you know, just ask them to tell you their story and ask a few questions. I, you'd be really surprised at the people that you think are the most un potentially unapproachable people in the world that will take time out and tell you their story. And I think that that's really key. Uh, the other thing is that I think as women, because of the way we're socialized to make nice and be a perfectionist, that we're our own worst enemies. And the only people that we're really competing with are, are ourselves. And try to remind myself of that. Um, and, you know, I have found a wonderful community of, um, of supporters, men and women, both inside and outside of medicine. I think it's really critical that you have different sets of coaches, mentors, and allies, right? The coach talks, uh, the coach talks at you, the mentor talks with you, the ally or sponsor talks about you. And I think it's really good to have sort of that internal crew at your home place to have your bigger network in medicine. And for me, that was Aptum, that was Aptum and AIM and ACP. Um, and a little bit of SIGM, but I couldn't do it all. So I didn't get to be as involved in SIGM as uh, sometimes I wish I had, um, or IDSA. Um, and then I think a third group, and that's the people that are, you know, not uh, in healthcare, that can give you that kind of unique perspective. So I think it's important to have sort of those three sets of folks. The other thing is that, you know, we get so wrapped up because women are constantly doing the second shift. You know, we're dealing with all the professional stuff we have to deal with. And then we go home and we're on the second shift. Um, and I do think it's important to have boundaries to make sure that you're sharing the work with your significant other, um, that you're not feeling guilty if you decide to, you know, get your house cleaned by someone else. It doesn't make you less of a person. Um, I, I, and you have to sort of figure out what works for you. You need to, I think, make a list, you know, make of the list of the things that you feel like you absolutely have to do. And then the other list of what's a little bit lower priority for you to do yourself and where can you get that help? 
And the other thing that I think you need to do is you really need to continue to write down your short-term and longer-term goals. Continue to look at them, continue to evolve them. Don't get stuck um, and hold yourself to some of that stuff. Um, I do think that we don't, we don't do enough of that. We kind of have them in our head, but I think writing them down really in that concrete way forces you to re-examine them to you know, maybe look at them with different lenses, um, to revise them um, as you move forward. Yeah, I hear you saying kind of be curious with yourself, kind of keeping those goals in mind and how you're going to get there, and then be curious about other people and and how how they can tell you this, their stories and that, that help impact you as you move forward. It's just like with your yeah. patients, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll never forget Faith, Faith Fitzgerald's story. This was written up in Annals in the 80s. And, you know, she, you know, she's done, she had done Stump the Professor at our meetings for years, you know, because of her diagnostic reasoning skills. But the story I always like to tell, you know, the students and the trainees is, you know, there's a lot to be said for history and physical. 90% of the time you can figure out what's going on with the patient with history and physical, but be curious about your patient. So she tells about the post-call day where they, her service had a lot of new people uh, admitted and she, um, she decided to rather than say, okay, who's the sickest? Who do we need to see first? She said something like, okay, who, you know, who was the least interesting patient that you admitted last night? All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's this elderly lady. And I don't know whether she had like failure to thrive or ambulatory dysfunction. So Faith goes in to see her and she sees a scar like on her arm. And she says, oh, you know, what happened? And she said, oh, I, you know, I had a fracture. Oh, how, how did that happen? Oh, a, a steamer trunk fell on my arm. Hmm, a steamer trunk. When, when did that happen? Oh, well, I was on the Titanic. So, you know, it's amazing if you are curious and you should be curious because you have to humanize your patients and humanize everyone around you. You might find some commonalities with them or you might find somebody who survived the Titanic. Um, just incredible. What amazing story. Um, all the listeners can't see me going, ah, <laughs> you know, behind, behind the mic here. So uh, I love that. Just keep asking questions and, and keep looking at, at where you want to be. I think those tie very well in together. Well, could we finish up with just a few fun rapid fire questions? I don't know sure. if I can top the Titanic story with that. <laughs> um, I usually ask folks what's on their nightstand, but I, it might be those uh, committee reports. So I'm going to no, ask you Actually, instead. I'm trying to get through. I'm on, at the very, I'm at the last third of Michael Lewis's The Premonition. Uh, now, I like Michael Lewis's writing because he sort of you know, finds a really interesting topic and puts some sort of pop culture or contemporary influence. And of course, this is about the pandemic. Um, and so that's that's what I'm reading right now. Oh, I have to try that out. I've loved his other books. I've been reading it for a while. So. <laughs> hey, just a few minutes a night. It, it adds up for sure. Exactly. And then my last little question for you is where's your happy place? 
Now, my happy place is just hanging out with family and friends. We, you know, we had a, our house is like 26 years old. Last year, we realized early, early on, and this was around the time that the pandemic was happening, that we, our deck was starting to really go and we needed a new deck. So we put a new deck in. We were lucky that we got it done without, before all the supply chain issues happened um, and put a nice cool little retractable roof on it. So we've been living out there. You know, we've been when, you know, Christmas, you know, we had a, we have a fire table out there and just hanging out there with family and friends. Um, that's, that's my happy place. Yeah, a full season deck and resort basically in your, exactly. in your own home. Exactly. Oh, thank you so much for spending time talking with me today. And I know our listeners have have just had uh, joy hearing hearing your story and some of the the fun things that have come out of it for sure. If you could take a minute and kind of sum up um, what you would want them to take home from our conversation today. I won't keep you much longer. Well, I think, you know, the rule on an airplane is put your oxygen mask on first before you put the mask on others around you. And I do think that's really, really important that you do take that time, stop, take that time out. You know, you're going to do that little meditation in the middle of the day, count to 10, um, you know, and I do think just sort of understand um, what's going to get you into a space that's going to allow you to be the best that you can possibly be. Uh, medicine is complicated. Um, it's an art and a science. Um, and, and life is, is complex and messy. Um, and so just figuring out what you need to, to get through and taking that time for yourself, um, you know, every day and sometimes multiple times the day to take a deep breath, to gain that perspective, to have that mindfulness, um, because that will make you better and you want to bring your best um, to, to whatever you do every day. Very true. Thank you so much for being here and, um, and talking about wellness and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening in to this episode of the Reset MD podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So just email us at resetmdpodcast at gmail.com.